Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Islam for Christians, episode 110, Quran, Surah 89, Al-Fajr, The Dawn. By the dawn, and the ten nights, and the even, and the odd, and the night when it passes, is all this not a sufficient oath for those who have sense? Did you not see how your Lord dealt with Ad, the people of Iram, with their great stature, unmatched in any other land, and Thamud, who carved their homes into the rocks in the stone valley, and the pharaoh of mighty structures? They all transgressed throughout the land, spreading much corruption there. So your Lord unleashed on them a scourge of punishment, for your Lord is truly vigilant. Now, whenever a human being is tested by their Lord through his generosity and blessings, they boast, my Lord has deservedly honored me. But when he tests them by limiting their provision, they protest, my Lord has undeservedly humiliated me. Absolutely not. In fact, you are not even gracious to the orphan nor do you urge one another to feed the poor. And you devour each other's inheritance greedily and love wealth fervently. Enough when the earth is entirely crushed over and over and your Lord comes to judge with angels rank upon rank and hell is brought forth on that day. This is when every disbelieving person will remember their own sins. But what is the use of remembering then? They will cry, I wish I had sent forth something good for my true life. On that day, he will punish them severely, like no other, and bind them tightly, like no other. God will say to the righteous, O tranquil soul, return to your Lord, well pleased with him and well pleasing to him. So join my servants and enter my paradise. And now the Arabic, as recited by Saad El-Ghamdi. ألم تر كيف فعل ربك بعاد إرم ذات العماد التي لم يخلق مثلها في البلاد وثمود الذين جابوا الصخر بالواد وفرعون بالأوساد الذين طغوا في البلاد وَأَمَّا 
In this surah, we have some very common themes. Things like, don't be wicked and arrogant, and be good and turn to God. You're not as untouchable as you think. And then, of course, it tells the reward for doing all of this and how it's indescribable. We have covered several surahs like this before. And this one is pretty much a summary of the early surahs. As in, if this were a greatest hits album, you know, Allah and Muhammad, their greatest work, it might be this surah, you know, something that's just condensed. But still, as with any surah, there are some unique aspects to this. So I want to focus on three unique things regarding this surah. Number one, the not so obvious focus of the early verses. I'll get into what that means. And number two, the recurring historical examples that are given. And number three, some pretty lovely words at the end. So when you begin this surah, when you read it in English, you hear, by the, you know, so-and-so. You've heard this before. It's quite familiar. But this one is slightly different than the others. There is a hidden message here on the importance of prayer in those first five lines that are given. You know, five lines which, like the rest of this surah, it's almost like its own paragraph, and it's set apart by a differing rhyme scheme. In this surah, the rhyme basically separates the ideas. Again, this is a common thing. Just listen to it again, or just look at it in the Arabic if you can understand Arabic. So this paragraph, the theme of the first five lines, just before we get into that, let me actually remind you of those five lines. 
by the dawn and the ten nights and the even and the odd and the night when it passes, is all this not a sufficient oath for those who have sense? So this oath, what is this oath for those who understand? What is being referenced here? Well, let's just kind of go over it for a second. Start with the dawn, and then end with the night. And in between, we have the even and the odd. Now, that can be understood, at least by some, to reference a day of prayer, and by extension, a habit of remembering God at all times. Now, why? Well, the ten nights and... By the even and the odd, the ten nights, at the time this was written, that referenced the ten holy days of pilgrimage in Mecca. And the even and the odd, that references, at least some say, the various even and odd sets of daily prayers. And if that's true, there is great wisdom in that. Someone who dedicates his day to God someone who lives by the rhythm of God, that person is wiser and less prone to the pitfalls that the Surah will soon be mentioning. Of course, I should also mention the possibility that this could also just be a simple contrast, you know, like in the other Surahs, day and night, even and odd. Maybe the significant thing is just that they're opposites. But maybe, just maybe, there's a little more to it. Okay, so then right after this, we have a new rhyme and a new subject, lines 6 to 14, which are warnings from history about those who do not understand, those who did not have wisdom, those who paid no heed to God or the morality that he demands. And here we have the tale of Thamud again. For those who were new, Thamud was a tribe that didn't take heed of their prophet. They abused a camel, uh, which was the last straw, pun intended, and God basically wiped them out. This was a civilization that collapsed a century or two before Muhammad, and it was in northwest Arabia. So you'll see Ad and Iram as well, if you remember that was mentioned. It's the same thing. Ad was the ethnicity of the civilization, Thamud was the tribe. Iran was the capital city, as I understand it. And these people, they got um, sodomed in some way, although it doesn't seem to have been as dramatic or all-encompassing <laughs> as Sodom and Gomorrah, because apparently some in the city lived, at least according to the Quran. But it disappeared, and God buried its former greatness under the desert sand. And when you see warnings like this, it's common and maybe even necessary, but also kind of fun to just apply this to your civilization. What does this mean for me right now to, to my time and place? You know, in the Bible, God promises that he will no longer flood the world. So we don't have to worry about, worry about God, you know, kind of smiting any place with water. 
But fire? That's still on the table. And this is an increasingly nuclear-armed world. Can't get much more fire than that. And your mind kind of wanders a bit, and you say, you know, the, the most wicked, the most arrogant mockers of God. I can't help but notice that, in my part of the world at least, they are concentrating into smaller, specific spaces like never before. Of course, even in those places, there are still some righteous people, however you want to define that, be it the Islamic term, the Christian term, or something else. Um, but I'm just talking about where, where your mind can wander here. You know, What if that number of righteous people actually dips below that Sodom threshold? Now, I'm not making a prediction here. Again, this is just a place my mind wanders too often, so I thought I'd share it. And, you know, these thought patterns, part of what makes it so interesting and, and again, almost fun to speculate on this kind of thing is you know you're going to be wrong because you can't really speculate on this type of thing with any intelligence, with any real knowledge, because God is the only one who knows who is righteous and who is not righteous and to what degree. And he often sees things very differently than we do. Um, it also doesn't take a nuclear bomb to destroy a civilization anyway. You know, sometimes it's just standard decline. You know, they just can't keep up with the rest of the world, like back in the day, Greece or Egypt or the Ottomans or whatever. And sometimes it's a suicide. <laughs> take uh, European civilization in the last century plus, for example. From world wars to the more modern self-hatred and religious decline, some civilizations simply lose the will to live. But, of course, judgment isn't really for us and can't be predicted. God sees people's hearts and minds. I can't. Neither can you. But the general warning, you know, getting back to the Sora here, it still stands. A civilization is doomed if it does not remember God and does not live righteously and does not take heed of the most basic forms of charity and is callous to the most vulnerable. This Sora specifically cites Thamud, but also Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh, obviously, did not take God's warnings very seriously, and Egyptian decline began shortly thereafter. And eventually a Greek man named Alexander was actually the Pharaoh, and the civilizations blended into the world and sort of disappeared. So this warning in the Quran, this general call to awareness, this was the warning being given to Mecca. God is not going to tolerate this any longer, and he's sending a prophet. Like the mood, when the prophet comes, that means you better do it now, because time is up. Repent or die, really. And it's also fascinating just in the historical context here, that we're talking about Mecca. And Mecca was able to withstand any kind of reckoning, even as rotten as they treated Muhammad. 
I suppose some people did die, but Mecca, even though most in the city originally had rejected Muhammad, the city was spared any reprisals when Muhammad marched an army in there. And Mecca is far, far, far more important now than it ever was back in Muhammad's time, which is an interesting twist, historically speaking. But this isn't just history. This is religion. And this is Islam. So the worldly warning isn't the only warning that is being given here. There's also the individual to consider. What happens to your home, when you think about it, it's a very little consequence compared to the ultimate judgment, that of the world's individuals. That's what lasts. When Mecca became Muslim, when the city was taken without a battle, the later battle for souls in Mecca, that did not end. Many people converted, but they didn't mean it. Many people paid lip service to this new morality, but they never embraced it. Those people, although the city was spared, are not going to be spared in the afterlife. Or, as the Quran says here, on that day he will punish them severely like no other, and bind them tightly like no other. So some cities, like Mecca, may escape divine punishment. But no individual will have that same luck. But of course, there's also a flip side to this. The last day, it's only a disaster for the unrighteous. And the way this is put in the Sora is quite spectacular. And I want to focus on these last four lines, especially the last one. But ah, thou soul at peace, return unto thy Lord, content in his good pleasure. Enter thou among my bondmen, enter thou my garden. For that last line, enter thou my garden, you will also see things like enter my paradise, enter my heaven. And there's just something so wonderful about how that translates into English, the use of the my pronoun. It just sounds so direct, so intimate, which of course is the goal of the righteous life. It's to be as close to God as is possible because you know he is the object of your love as a person. And so this just hits you, kind of like Paul's words, paraphrased in that famous Christian funeral hymn. Those of you who are Christians, you've probably heard this. Eyes have not seen, ears have, ears have not heard what God has ready for those who love him. There is just so much packed into that last line of the surah. The, the word or words, depending how you want to view it, the phrase in Arabic is geniti. It is the E at the end that makes it a possessive pronoun. And the T sound, I think, is just a holdover of this being a feminine noun, which usually ends in ah or at. 
So I think when you add the personal pronoun, it should be preceded by a T sound. Anyway, that's not the point. Jenna T, my paradise. Or you could say, if you want to be literal, paradise, my. You know, because in English, we would say my paradise. But in Arabic, if you just look at the actual order, it's paradise, my. Or maybe you could say paradise of mine. The word my, you know, is, is attached to, and this is the important part, <laughs> the actual root of the word is the Arabic word jenna. That's with two ends. It's a garden or paradise or heaven. And this is also the term for another very famous garden. You may guess which garden it is. It is the Garden of Eden. So you get the idea of what this word is trying to convey. However, there's even more to it. And that's why I told you it's Jenna with two N's. Now in Arabic, if you've remembered, what else has a J and two N's? That would be the word jinn, the invisible fire-based creatures of the Quran. Jinn and jana come from the same verbal root, which means to cover or to hide or to be concealed. And how great a metaphor is that for the paradise that God is promising here? It's a paradise that is concealed to the wicked, to those whose hearts are not aligned properly. It's hidden to those who have great incentive not to see it. Or as Jesus put it, this is Matthew eleven twenty five. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. So what God is promising here is not just a garden or a paradise. It's a hidden one. One that is, like the jinn, concealed from many people. And unless you believe, you won't even know it's there, or even that it's possible to go there. So what I'm trying to say is that it's not just the English translation that hits you in the heart. The Arabic does that too, maybe even more so. And there's even more to this word, actually. Like I said earlier, heaven is, more or less, being in the presence of God. What is another word similar to the one being used here for heaven, for this hidden paradise, the, the word jannah we've been talking about? That would be jannan, meaning the heart or the soul. So there's another fascinating echo in the Arabic there. God's paradise, God's heart. So whether in Arabic or in English, it just hits you. It makes you stop. There's such a fascinating, attention-grabbing, heart-capturing quality to this phrase. In either language, really. Enter my paradise. Enter my heart and soul. And for those who love God, for those who are pure in heart, this is obviously a very wonderful thing. 
But as the source says, for those who are not, well, you just might end up like the people of Thamud. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Insha'Allah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.